0: This is amazing. Did you hear what Nancy Mace said? Mace on Kevin McCarthy. Did you watch McCarthy during the speaker vote? I haven't seen someone assume that many positions to appease crazy Republicans since Stormy Daniels. Mace on Representative Matt Gates. Let's be honest. We all knew Matt Gates wouldn't let the speaker vote get to 18. I do have a message from Matt. He really wanted to be here tonight but he couldn't find a babysitter. <laughs>
1: mace Uh, on
0: maxwell frost democrat from florida he's 25 years old fuck you i have stretch marks your age (laughs) mace this is the last one i promise mace on republicans i know everyone thinks republicans aren't funny but if you get a bunch of us together we can be a real riot biden goes to ukraine raw intelligence tapes go to tucker carlson and america goes to divorce court this is the Beyond Politics Podcast and our Balance of Power Roundtable show, where we get perspectives from left, right, and center and dig a little deeper under what's going on in the news with our panel, of former U.S. Congressman Paul Hodes and conservative commentator, consultant, and analyst, Alicia Preston. I'm Matt and your host, coming at you up the center. And we have to start with the most important news story of the last few days, President Joe Biden going to Ukraine, going to Kyiv, walking around with Vladimir Zelensky and kind of putting a thumb in the eye of Vladimir Putin. Now, on this show, despite the fact that we have kind of a broad spectrum of partisan perspectives, we have been united. We've had a very similar aligned point of view when it comes to America's support for Ukraine in Russia's war of aggression and destruction against them. And I, so that's why I want to start with you, Alicia, because we break everything in this country down to partisan perspectives, to politics, Sadly. but you, you are not afraid to step outside the partisan lane on several important issues, and Ukraine is one of them. So what was your reaction when you saw this journey from the U.S. president?
1: Well, there are two parts to my answer. One is I like the result. I love the images coming out of President Biden standing near Zelensky in Kiev in the face of Russia. It shows strength. I liked his words where he talked about standing with democracy and standing with Ukraine. I love the result of it. I love the message it sends. However, I'm going to go back eight months. When Boris Johnson went, and I think it was the summer Manuel Macron went, Republicans were very quick to mock Joe Biden for staying in his bunker for being in the basement, look at these world leaders going to Ukraine, and Joe Biden wouldn't because he's a coward. And at the time, I defended Joe Biden, and here's why. I said, of course, an American president should not be going to a war-torn country. Of course, an American president should not be going to a city that is constantly bombarded by Russia, Uh, particularly when this is Russia, where the president, the leader of that country is insane, doesn't care about his own people or what the ramifications would be if he took out a U.S. president because he just wants to be in the history books and he doesn't care why. Of course, a president should not be going to Ukraine. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to walk on over here to this little island. I'm going to call it the island of consistency. And at the moment, I'm standing by myself on said island (laughs) saying, I like- It's a lonely
0: island, baby. It's a
1: lonely island. (gasps) And I'm going to say, I maintain while I like the outcome, the risk was too high to do it for the reasons I said.
0: That's interesting. Well, the famous quote, foolish consistency is the hobgoblin of little minds, but you are anything but foolish, my friend. And uh, there are no hobgoblins bantering around in your belfry. Paul- There are
1: some, but not here.
0: (laughs) You have not been the US president. More is the pity for the rest of us. Not yet.
1: Not yet, baby.
0: Oh, here it comes. Oh, geez. But look, as a member of Congress, you have taken trips- two war zones. It's part of your function. It's part of your elected office function. And it requires a not insubstantial level of physical bravery on your part. So maybe with that in mind, what was your reaction to
2: this trip? Well, it's interesting you bring that up because I traveled to Iraq in 2007. And when I traveled, I was, I don't know that I took my bulletproof vest or my helmet off except to sleep. Other than that, I was surrounded for my trip by a contingent of heavily armed people. And I was going to a place where there was a U.S. military presence. So I traveled to Fallujah in an armored Humvee. I was with a couple of other members of Congress, one or two as I re- one, or, one or two as I recall. And it was a trip that had been long planned, took a lot of coordination. And at the time, one of one of the days we were there, we had to change our plans because the intelligence had picked up that there were going to be bombs along the route that we were supposed to travel to wherever it is we were going. And when we Flew into the airport. Our plane, an Osprey, did this crazy corkscrew maneuver to avoid missile fire as we went down. Now, I was just a lowly member of Congress. Okay. So compare that to the planning that must have gone into the trip for the president of the United States. This was a plan that was took months and months of planning, an extraordinary level of, of we'll call it subterfuge, to make sure that as much security could be maintained as possible. And the U.S. took the extraordinary step of advising Putin, that the president was going to Kyiv. Yet there was still apparently a MiG scrambled at some point during the trip. Air raid sirens went off. So you can't minimize the risks to the president that Alicia spoke of and you can't minimize the impact, the global impact, the domestic impact politically of having the United States president go to a war-torn country with no US troop presence to stand in solidarity with, demo- with democracy, against authoritarianism because we are in, this is, I'm sorry to say, not since the Second World War have we had a case of unbridled, national, unprovoked aggression against another sovereign nation. And this is the battle against authoritarianism We is one we are waging, not only around the globe, but especially here at home. This Let me ask was... you a follow-up
0: question about that because you present a really interesting contrast. Less people think that, oh, if you're a politician, if you're someone in elected office and you do a trip to a war zone, there's layers of security, you're safe, it's all for the cameras. Let me disabuse you of that right now. I remember as Paul's chief of staff, the U.S., and this was in contrast to what Alicia was saying. When you went to Iraq, the U.S. military, it was an active war zone, but they had control of the airspace. They had some limited control of the green zone there. There was a layer of physical security that they could deliver there that was not present in Ukraine. And yet I remember distinctly, they this is not a joke the dangers are very real you were undertaking a not insubstantial level of physical threat to yourself in that situation and as i just said it was clearly very much present p- present for president joe biden so alicia's point is you love the outcome you we agree on how profound the stakes were but the risk is not worth it given the level of physical danger and so paul i want to read to you What Mark Antonio Wright, the executive editor of National Review, a conservative publication, probably the leading conservative publication in America, what he wrote about the trip, he said, President Biden's secret visit to wartime Kiev is an example of America in its finest tradition. This trip took guts. Americans are allowed to disagree in good faith about what comes next. Should the U.S. stand for a Ukraine whole and free, no matter how long it takes to eject the Kremlin's army? Or is it in the American interest to urge the Ukrainians to accept a peace that doesn't include all of its antebellum territory? But no one should be under any illusion about the power of an American president going into a war zone to extend a hand to a beleaguered people and offer unwavering support. He then quotes, from Napoleon, he says, "Symbolism and morale matter to a nation at war." As Napoleon said, "The moral is to the physical as three to one." So, we agree on the impact. We agree on the outcome, as Alicia said, and the importance of it. Clearly, conservatives, true conservatives in America, agree and are applauding the U.S. president for taking this step. But Paul, you lay out no uncertain terms the degree of physical risk entailed was it worth it?
2: Yes, the answer is yes. As I said before, you read the piece from the National Review. We have not had a global moment like this since World War II, when the United States had to overcome doubts and objections and rally to support the world in in its effort to stop Hitler. We are in a similar moment now, and the stakes are arguably higher. The aggressor here is a nuclear nation, and Putin just basically withdrew from nuclear arms talks at this moment, showing just how perverse um, and off the rails he is. This is a dangerous time for the world, and to have America... United States of America, the world's strongest superpower, standing with Ukraine after the years of Trump weakening our resolve, weakening our alliances, weakening our response to an out-of-control Russia. To have Biden turn that around in this way and make this really ultimate gesture of solidarity and support is something that I think is going to go down in history as a critical moment.
1: I agree with the last part. I think it will go down in history. And again, I like the outcome, but it's easy for us to say it's worth it because everything worked out okay. The problem is if it didn't work out okay, what does that mean? First of all, let's say the president got killed or one of the members that were around him. That is devastating to a nation. I don't care whether you like Joe Biden or don't like Joe Biden. When something happens to the president of the United States or any president of any country, it is it is nationally changing, right? It changes the society of our country for a period of time. Number two, in this case, it would have walked us into World War III. If the president of the United States got killed. We're in World War III. We are legitimately in World War III against a nuclear power. That is the risk we took. I support Ukraine as much as anyone out there. I love the patriotism and the strength of a nation fighting the big bad monster. I love America's support. I am one who will, unless my mind changes, say we support it until they push them out. They don't have to concede their own sovereign land. But we do have to say America can't be put in jeopardy. The outcome is fantastic. I love it. I love the message it was sent. But the what if will remain. And as for Russia being notified by America ahead of time, who wants to bet that no one told Putin? For a really long while. No one no wants
0: one. to be the bearer of that message. No, i no told Putin. What I would have enjoyed is being the State Department. We've had the State Department person who had this job behind the scenes, Max Bergman, on this show before. And this would have happened at a more senior level than Max. But boy, would I have enjoyed drafting the talking points for that call to my Russian <laughs> counterpart to say, guys, Biden is coming. He's going to be on the ground in Kyiv. If you mess with us, we will rain fire on you. Do not fuck with us.
1: But I will say I feel like it was like a Keith song that they were singing into the phone with him. Like the big US jets coming in one night, right? (laughs)
0: Let's take a break. We'll be right back. All right. So look, one of the reasons I like doing this show so much is- I never learned anything talking into a mirror. And I like hearing perspectives that I don't already have. And I'm going to have to actually stop and think about what you just said, Alicia. you I'm not sure I'm convinced, but you've given me some pause. You really have. Like, I really am going to have to think about this one. And I'm not sure where I'm going to come out at it because it is so easy with 2020 hindsight to say, hey, this thing we just did worked. Therefore, it was a great idea and the risk was worth it. But if you think about, for example, the fairly courageous decision from Barack Obama to do the raid that killed Osama bin Laden, what must have been in the minds of the planners of that mission was the debacle of the Iran hostage rescue that we attempted in 1980. And in the wake of the news that Jimmy Carter has gone into hospice care, he's nearing the end of his life. It has been a time in the last few days where we've reflected on his record and that's one of the things that that stands out and it just it presents a really interesting historical parallel and example of you do this kind of thing and it goes wrong you started by saying alicia that you love the outcomes here and you agree that they're powerful and consequential and as paul said historic truly historic but if the risk had not paid off if the gamble had gone south it would have also been historic and historically bad. I'm gonna have to think about that one. I took, really truly really am. It,
2: it it took guts. Okay. This was it was it this to this was, in addition to everything else, an act of personal courage on the part of a president who has been reviled and demeaned by Republicans and the crazy right, who showed his experience, it showed his mettle, it showed his personal courage. In addition to everything else, no matter what else you may say, this is a guy with courage. And we could use some of that in the world today. I agree,
0: I agree. But remember when we interviewed Annie Duke and she's the former professional poker player, and a wonderful author, and a fantastic guest. And her book was called Quit, about why we should stop doing things that aren't great, that aren't working out, because it's far more productive. Great show, great book. People should check it out. And one of her points is we celebrate people who take risks, do things that are foolhardy, do things that, that really aren't worth it. And when they work out, it's like, see, great. What grit, what courage. And I think, I, I just... Again, I'm not sure that I agree entirely with Alicia's point, but I think it's worth thinking about. We never think about what if this had gone south.
2: It's. I bet they did. I bet the White I bet House. They did. did. I bet they I bet spent did. months trying to figure out. Okay, what happens if a bomb hits the, pl- the train that's carrying him for nine and a half to Kiev? What What happens? What happens if his plane crashes? What happens if an errant Mig happens to fire an errant missile? What happens? Mm-hmm. Well, they good. decided
0: clearly they decided the risk was worth it. But again, Alicia, I commend you for bringing up a really fascinating point that I'm not hearing in a lot of places. Hey,
1: that's because I'm on my mo- own little island of consistency. You're lonely, lonely here. Lonely my poodles island. are going to join me soon.
0: I think that isn't that what like the Andy samberg crew that did the dick in a box on SNL? Like, isn't that what they call their production company? You're there. Is that- yeah. There. You're next to the box.
1: It's not as lucrative. Oh, great. <laughs> Thanks. That's an are, excellent
0: place to be popular. I'll put it that way. Hey, a moment ago when we were talking about Paul was referring to the right-wing crazies in this country, somewhere embedded in, in like a crazy right-wing studio, Tucker Carlson, his ears perked up and he's like, hold my beer, people. Somewhere, someone is in need of me. Because Tucker has been put in a really interesting position. I want to once again commend our friend Alicia for bringing this fascinating news story to our attention. Um, Alicia, tell us what this connection is all about. I literally had not seen this until you raised it right before we went on the air.
1: So Kevin McCarthy has released all the video of January 6th to the public via Tucker Carlson.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. So uh, that, that's it. I, I got nothing. Words to the public. That's doing a lot of work in that sense. Yeah, it because is. That, was, that was hard. Because you could just put it on the internet, which is apparently a place where you can post valuable information and also a lot of BS. And so what Kevin McCarthy did is he took the route of I could post valuable information or I could go the BS direction because what stands out about this is that Tucker Carlson speaking of our last story, has routinely spread misinformation and Russian propaganda during the Ukraine war. I have a supercut. It's on the Blue Amp channel where we do our videos. Go subscribe to the Blue Amp channel. I have a supercut of all of the times Tucker Carlson has said he supports Vladimir Putin and Russia in the war in Ukraine. He like he said it many times. Then he has guests on the show who just basically spout all the talking points from the Kremlin And on top of that, on top of that, Tucker Carlson has accused the January 6th committee of lying about what happened on January 6th, has boasted about the fact that Fox News did not cover any of that. And he says that it's all propaganda. And he helped produce a documentary documentary that suggested that January 6th wasn't real, that it was a false flag operation. So Paul Go ahead. What do you make of Kevin McCarthy handing over forty-one thousand hours of raw January sixth footage to Tucker Carlson?
2: Well, it's another unprecedented moment in history, but it's a history of slime, and and per, perverse. Per, ter, it's just perverse. I mean, so you now have Fox News, like the fox in the hen House. Pouring over the January video, taken in the Capitol by Capitol surveillance cameras. This is property of the United States government. There has never been anything like this ever done before in terms of the idea of turning over this government property to a private propaganda entity. Because that's what Fox News is. And hopefully, uh, after the Dominion suit, they'll be, and hopefully, well, whatever. So, So this is certainly unprecedented. Apparently, the Speaker of the House who had access to this can control its dissemination i went looking to f- try to find what was the what authority did kevin mccarthy have to unilaterally turn over this government property to fox news i and i can't i couldn't find any but apparently it it happened so he must have been able to get a hold of it and tell people tell his minions to call up Tucker Carlson and invite him in probably he right now Tucker Carlson in between his shows is sitting in the basement, in some hidden place in the Capitol, pouring over these videotapes to see what selected bits he wants to try to put together to show that January 6th was just a walk in the park and a sham and the Democrats in their evil ways are making too much of it. So so it's crazy time. Kevin McCarthy promised the crazy right-wingers who are now in control of the United States Congress that he would release it. He's done it. He's done it with Fox News. Big, I, I mean, number one. It's a security risk because it shows positions of cameras in the Capitol, which insurrectionists and others can use. It shows the people who are still under investigation for this insurrection and a violent assault. It shows hiding places and means of egress and escape that members of Congress, including Republicans, had to take to save their lives from the violent mob that wanted to kill people and hang Mike Pence, it's disgusting. Kevin McCarthy is a slime ball. He's disgusting. And anybody with any conscience should condemn this and should condemn Kevin McCarthy. I'm still waiting to hear from some Republicans who go far enough in saying what ought to be said about this idiot, this numbnuts, this California golden boy toad who who ought to slink back to the sun and spend the rest of his life underwater.
1: Okay, well, that was direct. Here's my question. Prior to me getting into the hellhole of the world of politics, I was actually a journalist. My journalist hat went on and my little journalist antennas went up the second I heard this story. I'm willing to bet every network news station in this country has filed in courts, as we speak. This is government property that is individually released to Tucker Carlson. That makes it public, does it not? You're a former congressman, former congressional staffer. Campaigns can leak anything or give exclusives to whomever they want. Can the government?
0: That's a fascinating question. Can they selectively give this to one news organization?
2: They selectively did.
0: Yeah, but, but they legally, it legally, them, legally. I'm so NBC what, News.
1: So I got my lawyer knocking on the door of a courthouse right now. I don't trying see to a reason.
0: Something. I don't see a reason why they can't. But I would be probably speculating a little bit too far out over my skis. Who has um,
2: jurist? Who has jurisdiction over? Who owns? Who controls these tapes? Is it Kevin McCarthy individually? Is it Kevin McCarthy as Speaker of the House? Is there some? Is there something that says the Speaker of the House control, it may be simply that the Speaker of the House controls access to the going, all goings on in the House of Representatives, including the surveillance tapes and security matters in the U.S. House and therefore As Speaker of the House, in the wisdom of the American people, having turned over control of the United States House of Representatives to these whack jobs, in the wisdom of the American people, Kevin McCarthy's now in control of what to do with that property.
1: My non-legal argument, because I am not a lawyer, is everything the government owns also belongs to the people unless it doesn't, right? And once it does, it belongs to all of us.
0: Let's take a break. We'll be right back. I don't want to get in the weeds of this here, but people have probably heard of Freedom of Information Act requests. The U.S. Congress is not subject to those. There is an exemption for legislative proceedings. And so as a blanket non-legal matter, it's not the same thing to say that everything that should be in the public domain because it's the public business is necessarily something that the public has rights to get and access to. That's just a general thing as it pertains to Congress. I believe, Paul, I believe, but don't hold me to this. I believe that it is the case that the Speaker, because she or he has oversight of the Capitol Police, the architect of the Capitol and the other physical functioning of what goes on under the Capitol Dome, I believe that the speaker does have the ability to release these, and I don't know that there is a legal mechanism for other news organizations to say, hey, Fox got it. Why don't we as well? But I'm about to devolve into speculation. I will say this, though, is much of this footage has been made public before in the course of the January 6th hearings, and so the impact of releasing the additional raw footage might be mitigated. What worries me about it isn't so much the Fox right-wing propaganda machine. What worries me about it is the Russian propaganda machine. If you have proven to be a conduit to Russian propaganda, that is not a one-way street, baby. That goes both ways. And so if Tucker Carlson, with known ties to Russian figures and uh, known to be an outlet for Russian talking points has all of this stuff. I have got to question how much of it flows back to Russia. We know what they do with video and disinformation and deep fakes and I worry, maybe not from it. I mean, Paul raises the security angle, and
2: listen that that was also litigated. Remember that back in twenty twenty one, and I'm just looking as we speak online at a BuzzFeed report, a judge, prosecutors, and the Capitol Police to release some of the video footage upon the demands of media entities and the security issues were raised there so the release was a limited release of the footage and the footage was released to congressional committees doing the January 6th committee had access to all that footage and watching the hearings we saw some selected clips so McCarthy had promised in order to get to be speaker he had to promise the right-wing whack jobs that he would release the January 6th tape so he's an honest guy He's not, and he made good on his promise.
0: Well, I mean, I think whether or not it's with Russian help, why does Tucker want these? I mean, he's already, again, he produced Patriot Purge, that documentary that tells an alternative story. This is like Kelly and Conway's alternative facts about what happened on January 6th. I mean, there's no purpose that Tucker Carlson could possibly have here other than to try to spin, selectively edit this material to try to make it seem as he said that the insurrection was forgettably minor and to try and recast history ahead of the 2024 election this is going to be incredibly damaging and it's a boon to conspiracy theorists
1: oh, it certainly will be a boon to conspiracy theorists We are, there are lots of parts of this security in russia and otherwise it concerns me what concerns me most however is Kevin McCarthy, who has long criticized the Biden administration for their lack of truth and transparency, is seeking neither truth nor transparency in this. If he wanted to be transparent and the truth to be told, he would not have given it to a denier of January 6th, someone who was going to sanitize it to fit his agenda and his narrative. If he wanted to be transparent and truthful and let the truth be told, he would simply have released it to any and all media outlets and members of the public that wanted it. And he didn't do that. And I think that's very dangerous that not only did he not do it, he told the country, screw you. I gonna do whatever I want. This is what I want to do. That's dangerous.
0: Well, that is the definitive last word on this. And I just want to also note that when you were referring to right-wing crazies, Marjorie Taylor Greene somewhere, I'm picturing like, well, I, I don't even want to say what I'm picturing something pretty crazy. She said, hold my beer people, because she would like to refer everybody to her tweet as we record this. This was just about 24 hours ago when she tweeted, and I want to quote this accurately and fully here. We need a national divorce. We need to separate by red states and blue states and shrink the federal government. Everyone I talk to says this from the sick and disgusting woke culture issues shoved down our throats to the Democrats' traitorous America last policies. We are done. Marge, I would definitely like to divorce you. Please go. Go somewhere go away. I would like to invite you to go to Madagascar. I hear it's lovely. The lemurs are particularly spectacular.
1: Lemurs are so cute.
0: You can take the house. You can take the wagon wheel coffee table. I do not care. Leave and never come back. Let's address her idea here for a second. Alicia, should America get a divorce?
1: I think we might need some marriage counseling, (laughs) but I'm not sure a divorce unto itself is, we're not quite there. Now, look, this is funny because it's by Marjorie Taylor Greene, who's a whack job and says wacky things. And she just every week has to be like, no, OK, now i got to be a little bit more crazy. Now i got to be a little crazier. But at the end of the day, she's calling for secession. Like you're a sitting member of the United States Congress who took an oath to the Constitution of the United States of America. And you want to divide our nation, Civil War style by red and blue. It's crazy. It's insane. And it should be condemned. Now, I do have an idea, though, that could solve the problem. So this past weekend, WWE had an elimination chamber. Can we do an elimination chamber with people like Marjorie Taylor Greene? And we all just get in and take the ones like Lauren Boebert, Matt Gates from the Republicans, put all the red ones together and just kick them out. You guys can get rid of Elon Omar or whoever you think just goes too far on your side. So I think rather than a divorce, we should take a WWE elimination chamber approach.
0: So, I love this idea. I love this. Well, well, Paul, can I rely on your legal expertise for a second? I know you don't specialize in divorce, but let's say we were pursuing this like a divorce case. What would the grounds be? I mean, I would say that the Republicans might charge Democrats with alienation of affection because we've gotten into a lot of kooky cultural ideas and we might charge them with infidelity insofar as they've been making passionate love to Russia. What would you you say- Oh darn I'm so sorry did I step on your line alicia yes i mean i at the very least donald trump has been tongue kissing vladimir putin
2: so uh, so in I, any uh, in in any marriage you you th- you theoretically pledge your troth and loyalty to one another you pledge essentially to support the marriage you pledge not to undermine the marriage you pledge not to incite discontent or rebellion. And as with sedition and treason, which are essentially synonymous, sedition means incitement or discontent or rebellion against the established government. And generally, it's considered to be any action, especially in speech or writing, promoting such discontent or rebellion, at least according to dictionary.com. So in this case, the, the, the grounds for the divorce are that the treasonous, awful person, Marjorie Taylor Greene, and I'm, I was being politically correct there because I had something really scatological on the tip of my tongue, which I avoided <laughs> saying to save myself and our audience from thinking less of me. And a lot of all, editing than time. They, than they already do. <laughs> she is a treasonous, seditious person, person, and we could simply file for divorce on that grounds from her. And right, I, could selectively
0: she, divorce just her. Just and maybe, her. Well, what about the fact, though? We that could Donald prosecute. Trump,
2: she could be, I believe that there is grounds actually to prosecute her for sedition with that tweet. I think that's treasonous. I think she could be prosecuted for sedition. And then you could throw in her role in January 6th and you'd have a really fun case. But here's the thing
0: I mean, it would be very hard to hold her accountable alone because at the very least, Donald Trump was advocating for an open marriage, right? I mean, in addition Uh, to making
2: If he is a co-conspirator as part of this, that's fine. I mean, I see a broad conspiracy of sedition and treason. Happy to have it. And not that, I mean, happy to see it as I've long called for Donald Trump to spend the rest of his life in an orange jumpsuit. But
0: seriousness, I mean, what we know as a fact is that Donald Trump essentially- had a starring role in Vladimir Putin's sex dungeon. He was the Gip, okay, from Pulp Fiction. I want you <laughs> to picture Donald <laughs> Trump. Whose sex Gip.
2: dungeon are you talking about? Vladimir Putin. He has oh, a sex dungeon. Vladimir and, and, Putin's sex yes,
0: dungeon. and Donald Trump was getting up to some kinky stuff in there. Oh yeah, Donald know Trump, that he's let, very Putin. We've curious. devolved, guys. We have devolved. <laughs> no, wait, I'm going to go further with this because um, we also we also know that Donald Trump was welcome
2: like to the dungeon. Orban,
0: right? And so. I mean, there's multiple infidelities going on here. I'm just saying, like, I, I don't I'm know. just I, saying. All right, let me ask you guys. I think just the Republican saying.
1: Party should file for divorce against Marjorie Taylor Greene.
0: Oh, that would be phenomenal. Oh. Good luck. Good luck. Who gets the kids? Who gets Bobert on the weekends? That's my question. I don't. Who need wants visitation. Bobert on I don't the weekends? Need
2: visitation. She's gonna have to. She's gonna have to go to a foster home. Nobody yeah. will take her.
0: Oh my gosh, that would be problem. Let me ask you guys this. Let's say Marge gets her way, okay? And we divide into two nations, Trumpistan and Wokistan. Which one do you want to live in?
1: I'm Mm -hmm. still on my little island of consistency by myself over here. Nope, that's
0: not an option. Your (laughs) island is going to be violently invaded first by Russia and then by either Trumpistan or Wokistan. You've got to to
1: pick. All right. I choose Trumpistan and here's why. Because I can continue doing things like I do right now, which is annoy the ever-loving hell out of them. It's entertaining.
0: Oh, you you want to be like a fifth columnist inside? Oh, can I presume that you'd like to live in Wokistan?
1: I, the whole
2: question is over my head, and I refuse to make a Hobson's choice. Can I visit I might, Wokistan on vacation? Might, wait a second. I might choose Trumpistan because then I would I could really make some noise in Trumpistan. But I might not last long, given the proclivity for violence among the Trumpistani's. So, I mean, Trump, Trumpistan is a is not a friendly place, but it is a place for a revolutionary. And in that case, I would certainly be a thorn in the side of the Trumpistani's.
0: Well, I hate to say it, but we actually have to end the show right here because a moment ago when I talked about who gets the kids, apparently Matt Gaetz's ears perked up and I just got a phone call from him. So I'm going to take this and I will get back to you on Don't what Don't let he him said. near
1: your kids. Just make sure.
0: <laughs> <laughs> on our next edition of Balance of Power.